I'll be reading Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. Chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If you'll turn in your Bible, please, to 2 Peter, the first chapter. Just a moment, we'll be going there. I wonder how many times the Apostle Peter had read those words of Solomon. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I'm certain of this, he did not think those words originated from the mind of Solomon. He would write in 2 Peter about the prophets, what would also be true of Solomon. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. Peter himself, guided by inspiration, would add to the idea of diligence three different times in this short letter that we call 2 Peter. If you look at 2 Peter 1 at verse 5, you read, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and so on. Adding Christian graces or qualities to our life. Give diligence. In verse 10 of chapter 1. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Making our calling and election certain. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him or by him in peace without spot and blameless. The the diligence that comes to us through the Greek New Testament is defined by scholars this way. To do your best... Bend every effort. Some of the modern speech versions go like this. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 from J.B. Phillips. You must do your utmost from your side. And then the Williams translation says, You must do your level best. Another translation gives it, You should try your hardest. There are the ideas of diligence. What we need to keep in mind is that Peter was writing to saved people, to Christians. And the the idea of obeying the gospel, having our sins washed away in baptism, and then just coasting toward eternity would never be accepted by Peter, nor by his God. You see, diligence must, must be a part of a Christian's life. 
Let's take a, look, a closer look at what Peter wrote concerning diligence in those three verses. And let's ask ourselves, what responsibility do we have today? First of all, we must be diligent to add those Christian qualities. Read a little further in 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5 again. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. There's several things you need to understand about the diligence of adding qualities, spiritual qualities to your life. First of all, it is possible. It is possible to add these things to your life because the truth is God never, never, never asks us to do the impossible. And so if by inspiration Peter writes to us as God's will that we add these virtues to our lives, we can if we want to. And we must recognize that these are for all of us, every Christian, and not just elders or deacons or preachers or Bible school teachers or someone we might envision as being a super Christian needs these things in his or her life. And that's because they are practical. These are not just qualities so that we can boast about them. We need these things to add to our lives because they will be helpful to us in living the right kind of life that will honor God and please Him and will be the best life possible to live. But they don't become part of us accidentally. That's why Peter writes, giving all diligence. You see, the reality is that it's going to take effort. A lot of effort, real effort, diligent effort. But it's also true that the effect that it results in will be worth the effort that's expended. What, what are these qualities and how important are they to us? Well, obviously, and we have done this before, you could take a sermon on each of these qualities. Time won't permit us to do that this morning. So let me just mention them briefly. First of all, virtue. The, the word means moral goodness, excellence of character. God wants his people to be people of character, people of moral excellence. Knowledge, this is spiritual knowledge, of course. And it is that which enables us to make right decisions in our lives and to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. And that knowledge comes from God's Word. Self-control. This is a restraint of oneself, holding back, that is gained by both prayer and practice. We don't become self-controlled without prayer, and we don't become self-controlled without actually being self-controlled. This is a determination 
not to give in when wrong is presented to us as an option. And then patience or perseverance in some translations, remaining steadfast and holding on even during difficult tests. This is the kind of quality that enables us to go through the storms unscathed. And then there is godliness. What a wonderful word. An attitude that is consistent with that of God. And sometimes we use the expression God-likeness. Godliness is to be like God. Trying more and more to be like God. Brotherly kindness. This is the devotion that binds us to fellow believers. Paul would write to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then there is love. That great biblical word, an all-encompassing love, that, that love which in its fundamental idea is to seek another's highest good. And, and this would be love for others with whom we associate, love for ourselves, but obviously love for God. And God's love first being shown to us is to be reciprocated by us loving Him even as He loved us. Now Peter assures his readers that the result of adding these things to one's life will guard us. It will be a shield against barrenness or unfruitful lives. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. For if these things are yours and abound, notice not just trying to meet a certain small level, but if they're abounding in you, if they're really obviously a part of your life, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be diligent. Be diligent to add these things. What else? We have to be diligent to make our call and election sure. Again, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. God never meant for those two words, call and election, to be confusing or difficult. If they have become difficult for anyone, it is because men have made them difficult, not because God has. We who have come to God in obedience have been called by Him. You see, Peter could remember, even as he wrote this, when he spoke of this to that great crowd of people in Acts 2. After Jesus had been crucified and buried and had risen from the dead on the third day and then finally had ascended back to the Father as Peter stands before a, a large host of Jews, he would say to them in Acts 2.39, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. The call of God. Now, Peter had just told people prior to verse 39 what they needed to do to find forgiveness 
and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, his fellow apostle, would make it very clear the way we are called. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. As he writes to this group of saved people in Thessalonica, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Notice, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called. Called by the gospel. God's call is available to all people because all people are called by God. Some don't respond to the call. Christians have also been elected or selected or chosen by God. But this election is not one in which God has determined ahead of time that you're going to be saved no matter what you want to do. Somehow or another, he has predetermined that you are a chosen one and you will be saved no matter what. That same hideous false doctrine means that God would have also arbitrarily chosen those who would be lost without any effort on their part or no matter what effort on their part. You see, God only decided the type of people or the kind of people who would be saved. And that kind of people, that type of people, would be those who would accept his will and be obedient to him. You see, if Calvinism were correct, the, 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 the doctrine of unconditional election and so on, if that were correct, this admonition to be diligent in making sure of our salvation would be unnecessary. Because as another part of that doctrine created by a man would be once saved, always saved. So all you have to do is be saved if God wanted you saved. And then once you're saved, don't worry about being saved because you're always going to be saved. That's not what the New Testament teaches. We make our call and election sure in this particular context by developing those qualities that Peter has mentioned. And, and we work at it because it's worth the effort to produce that in our lives. And in doing that, there is a certainty in our salvation. Not certainty because of us, but certainty because we have done what God wanted us to do. In chapter 2 of this same letter, Peter would warn against in getting entangled again in the pollutions of the world from which we have escaped. You see, we can go through a process of salvation and Christian growth, and then if we're not careful, the world's temptations can lure us into the life that we were smart enough one time to lead. One more to note. In chapter 3, you'll notice that, that in that statement of Peter in verse 14, to be found in peace... And that means peace with others, but also peace with God. We are to live in peace. We're also to live without spot. 
by keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, James 1.27, and remaining separate from the world's corruption, 1 Peter 1 verse 4. And then Peter says, blameless. He doesn't mean sinless, but he means that no sustainable charge can be made against us for our unwillingness to take the necessary steps to be right with God. It means when we sin, we repent. When we find ourselves doing wrong, we turn away from wrong and do right. We are then blameless. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3 verse 10 that the coming of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. Thieves don't announce their coming. They come unexpectedly, suddenly. And because of that, Peter would warn those Christians of his day and therefore also warn us that it's necessary to be prepared at all times. And we will not be prepared unless we have given diligence to the effort to be prepared. Yes, be diligent. No one goes to heaven without putting effort into going to heaven. Now that doesn't mean you earn your salvation. Some people think that giving diligence would be trying to work your way into heaven. We understand it's truly by God's grace. None of us will be saved without that grace. But neither should we let that make us think that we can live carelessly and indifferently and without concern for our spiritual development. The reward, if we are diligent, is given in verse 11 of chapter 1. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning how you would describe your efforts to live for Christ. Can you honestly say, I am being diligent in the development of those qualities and in those characteristics that will make sure that not only is my salvation certain, but that when Christ comes again, I'll be ready for his coming. If you can't say that, obviously a change needs to be made. You may not be able to say it because you're not a Christian even. And that means that you have not yet understood the necessity of obedience to Jesus as the only hope of your salvation. That you haven't put your faith in Him completely as the Son of God. And based upon that faith, you have decided that you're not going to live the way you've been living. You're going to repent of your sins. That there's going to be a real change in your heart. And it means that you have not yet taken advantage of the opportunity to confess with your mouth before others your belief that He is the Son of God and that you have not allowed yourself to be immersed in water so that your sins can be washed away by His blood. You can be diligent unless you're in the kingdom. And if you're in the kingdom but you're not being diligent anymore, then you need to rectify that. If we can help you 
in getting back to the right way as a Christian by praying with you and for you. We will, if you'll come now while we stand and sing.